Audi. Hello and welcome to the Big Travel Podcast. I'm Lisa Francesca Nand. Today's guest, Edith Bowman, first hit our screens in the early noughties on MTV and with her lilting Scottish accent is still a firm favourite on TV and radio across the UK. Brought up in the family hotel in Fife, she's got travel running through her veins. She's been caught in a snowstorm in the salt flats of Bolivia, shot guns in Texas and loves nothing more than spending weekends with her kids and rock star husband on a tour bus. Please welcome the lovely Edith Bowman. I, I want to start with your work, actually, because yeah, I know of a lot of travel through work, and I've coveted your job for a long time. <laughs> and when doing, I mean, obviously I know all about you, but doing some more research, you know, sort of last night, swatting up, I thought it was almost like playing radio presenter bingo. It was like we worked at the same places, <laughs> we were exactly yeah. the same age, we were born in the same year. And uh, we got two boys. I was reading about your C-sections. I've had two C-sections. Here we go. All like this sort of thing. And then I thought, well, actually, where we differ is that I went for a, a screen test at MTV when I was in my 20s and totally cocked it up. <laughs> Who did you go? And Who you did you see? The, oh, remember? I can't remember. I can't even remember. Christine Bohr was the woman that I... I remember Christine Bohr, Who yeah. was brought in to launch MTV UK. And, what, and she wanted to represent the UK with accents, quite rightly so. And it was the first time I'd ever heard that happen and up to that point I'd had such negativity about my accent I've got letters still of people telling me I needed to go for elocution lessons yeah thankfully Christine was a fan of the accent and that's kind of where I started really it was a bit of a turning point I think for yeah, regional accents definitely. at like, that time and also for women it was a great totally. time for, well, she for brought, female presenters yeah I mean she in that whole sweep of launching MTV UK she brought in myself Sarah Cox, June Sarpong, Kat Daly, Donna Ayer so you've got a Yorkshire, Newcastle, Brummie, and a Scot, you know, and a Londoner in there. That's amazing, of you know, representation not just of the country but women as well. And it felt like a really exciting time, you know, as a, as a woman of the, the same age and probably doing the same things socially. Yeah. It felt like a really good time to. It felt like we were part of something almost in a way. Definitely, it felt like we were. I don't know. I'd up to that point, you know, I'd I'd had MTV at home and I'd watched it and I'd watched. I'd watched Davina basically, kind of, you go, going, God, I want to do that. And yeah, it was amazing to feel like, yeah, you can do this. And I think what was great about MTV was that it was, it was not exclusive. It never made you feel, even whilst you were watching it, that you couldn't be part of the gang. You know, we were always out doing stuff. And even like shows like Select, which were all about people phoning in and feeling like they were part of the show and choosing music and all that kind of stuff. And it was an amazing learning place as well. You know, I've, I've got a lot of still really close friends who were part of that whole team behind the camera as well. You know, it's this amazing training ground for people as well in terms of starting off as runners and that kind of thing. And I, I don't think there's much of that now really. But yeah, it was a real great learning experience. And you did a lot of travel um, oh, through your work, which yeah. I'll get onto in a minute because I want to go back to Fife because you're yeah. a perfect travel guest because you're actually, travel industry is in the blood. You grew up yeah. in a hotel. Yeah, I grew up in a, a little family run hotel which my grandfather, Eddie, started. And it was a, a six bedroomed B&B to start off with. It was a minister's manse that he bought. And my granddad was a bit of a, he was a bit of a Dell boy really, you know, he, he um, he was a carpenter by trade, he was in the army, and then he came back from the army and he had he had like a little cafe that was the kind of place to go in the little fishing village. My mum talks about the jukebox and the kind of coke machine and stuff, you know, those tops kind of flying off across the room. And, 
And then he had a grocer's shop and a laundrette. And then he bought this minister's manse, which he started off as a six-bedroom B&B. And then, you know, over the years, uh, my mum's one of seven, so hard hand. Four of her siblings helped run it. When they sold it, it was a 50-bedroom hotel that saw the Queen come for lunch. Um, Fergie brought Aberdeen to the hotel when he won the Scottish Cup in the late 80s. I was wondering 80s. what Fergie were talking about them, actually. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the, uh, uh, Sir Alex, yes. uh, the legend. And, you know, it was, it was amazing. And we had people come from all over the world to stay, particularly for golf and things like that. So yeah, I grew up in the, the tourism world, I guess. What was that like? Were you working in the hotel? Oh yeah, there was from a very early age, it was, it was expected of you to work. And I think that that was a great training ground for me for, on two sides of it. Just, I guess I got a really good work ethic uh, and appreciation of, you know, if you work hard, you'll reap the benefits. But also growing up in an industry where, in an environment where women worked, you know, and it was expected of us to work and of all ages, and everybody had, as everyone's opinion were, were considered and thought and taken seriously. And so that was a really healthy environment, particularly back then, you know what I mean? To, for women to have that kind of role, I think. Did you meet the Queen when she came? I, I watched her from my living room window, my mum did. So all the daughters were lined up in their kilts, different tartans, uh, and their partners, husband's partners, kind of, you know, stood next to them. My, my nana was beside herself, Nana Gladys, because, you know, she's a mass, she was a massive royalist and uh, uh, her and my granddad were beside themselves and they were done up to the nines. My nana had this amazing outfit on, which was like powder blue. And they weren't told in advance, you know, what the queen was wearing, but the queen also arrived in powder blue. So my nana was like, she's got good taste. But I remember, one of the things I do remember was watching from my living room window with some of my cousins, because we had a great view of where they were coming out to meet my mum and her siblings, was that my granddad had a velvet toilet seat made for them. Because <laughs> they, had, they had a couple of rooms, bedrooms that they'd done up upstairs for them to kind of just, you know, have, have a bit of time out and I guess ante rooms or whatever. So they'd had the rooms kind of done up specially for them. My granddad had had velvet toilet seats made. I'm visualising this sort of like dark red, yeah. blush, royal red but like the curtains in this room actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Did you ever sit on it? I don't know where it went. Never saw it. Just well, heard of it. It's like it's like some kind of urban myth. I've never even heard. I wonder if the Queen was like... I wonder oh if she God, used it. Yeah, or yeah. it was just like... Maybe he sold it for fortune. She probably thinks it's like a local tradition. My granddad used to have all these crazy things though. He had another passion of his was was race car driving. He never really took part in it, but he invested in it to help younger kids in our area and stuff like that. And weirdly, he ended up buying the bus from the Italian job to transport cars. Like they used it to transport transport cars. And I remember one of my aunt's weddings because there was like 19 grandkids and cousins that we were all flower girls and page boys and stuff. And so the only way we could get transported from the church back to the hotel was in this bus. So this bus was kind of all done out for us to be transported. So yeah, it was weird little things like that. Describe the village, because do you know that Fife is now the fifth most Instagrammed place in the UK? It's stunning. And you know, when I lived there, I was bored. I couldn't wait to get out. Because there wasn't much to do as a you know a teenager, three thousand population when I lived there. It's a lot bigger now, but it's a little fishing village called Anstruther, and it's part of this area called the East Nuke of Fife, which or uh, if you look kind of on the map just north of Edinburgh, there's this kind of little almost like a spear that juts out on the coast, and that whole area is the East Nuke of Fife, and it's a it's a beautiful coastline. It's not kind of as kind of scenic as the west coast. It's quite rugged, 
but you have this wonderful coastal path that goes all the way from Ely and Earls Ferry through St Monans, Pitt and Wee, Manstrother, along to Crail and Kilrenny, and then eventually you can end up in St Andrews. And it's gorgeous, it's like you've got the May Island just off the coast, a mile off the coast, which is a bird sanctuary, and you can have boat trips out there to go on the island when the, the puffins aren't in season and stuff, and go around the back and there's a seal sanctuary and stuff, and it's beautiful, and I love going back now, and I love taking my kids back now. And weirdly, I did a, I got asked to do a film for Country File, and I was like, can I do it on the coastal walk? And so we went back, and it was, I felt really proud to kind of really enthuse about that area, because, you know, there have been times in my life where I've been very negative about it, just because I was bored and couldn't wait to leave. It's and the I, sort of place people want to leave when they're kids, particularly when you're a teenager. Yeah. You must have had an added element, because you would have seen people coming from all over the world to yeah. stay in your hotel. So yeah. did that give you the inspiration to sort of get out of there as well? Yeah, definitely. And that was everything from, you know, Japanese golfers to Swedish football fans to uh, people who'd come, family who'd come from abroad for weddings. We had a lot of weddings at the hotel. You know, and it was quite funny, I used to joke about it because all my cousins lived within like a kind of five mile radius because we, you know, we were all quite close and worked in the hotel. And then it was only weirdly, you know, there was there was a certain expectation of us you know, to work in the family business, but I knew pretty early on that I was I was going to get out and leave. My mum and dad took over the hotel from the siblings, and but then they retired, and I'm so glad they did because they got their life and they got to go and travel and do things they'd never been able to do. But there was definitely that thing of being able to see the world through other people's eyes at that age, and because of how much my mum and dad worked, the thing that they always did with us as kids is we would always go on two holidays a year, and it was our time. And so they'd take us out of school, we'd take homework with us, it was always kind of cleared through school. And in January we'd have a ski holiday, and in September we'd have a summer holiday. And in summer we went we went to America a couple of times and did Disney World, but we spent quite a lot of time in Portugal. So I've been going to Portugal since I was like about eight, nine years old. That's quite well to do at that age. I mean, I certainly wasn't going, the people that went to America, you know, were like the people that went to Disney. It's like, oh, that was, you know, particularly in my little village in the north of England, people, yeah. people weren't going to it. I'm guessing that the hotel was doing quite well then. I mean, they worked hard and that was really all they spent their money on, to be honest. Do you know what I mean? Because... Probably they didn't have time to spend No, they didn't have time and it was, you know, and if you think about it, condensing, sort of spending their, their time and money on something that meant they could have quality time with their kids for two weeks was was really important to and we did I think we did America twice um, I love the fact that they let you take the kids out of school yeah. these days they're just so militant about it I know and I think it's hard because there's two things and this is a big this is something you should bring up quite a lot on the show is the fact that travel companies need to be brought up to I think they need to answer to be honest for that much that they, they have some hike up prices in school holiday times because it's absolutely disgusting. It's hideous isn't it when you even if you look at somewhere here like Centre Parks which I've never been to by the way because it just seems too expensive and I didn't yeah. go pre-kids because I didn't want to. Yeah. Um, you just look from one day to the next it's from disgusting. the Friday to the Saturday and it just goes up by about a grand for the same accommodation yeah. that you'd be getting the day before. And so kind of weirdly it would be well it would be cheaper for us to go because we weren't going in term time but then you know, my mum and dad's argument was that, you know, they work so hard that this was, quality time with family is important. It's as important, I think, as as school sometimes. And, you know, it's funny, I, had my, I took my kid out recently just for a day to go up to a wedding in Scotland, my two kids, and my five-year-old's teacher, Kate, was brilliant. And she said, oh, you know, I says, I'll, I'll email you so it's all kind of official and stuff. 
She said, it's fine, I'll put it down as, as an educational trip. She's like, you're going to Edinburgh. I was like, I am actually going to take him to the castle. You know, we went to Edinburgh Castle and stuff like that. And so I think seeing places and meeting other people and meeting different cultures and all that kind of stuff can be as important over a two-week period in what they're going to learn in a classroom. And also spending time with family. When you're, if you if you just took the time off and spent time at home with the family, you've got your usual same. distractions. And we lived so close to the hotel that you know even on mum and dad's days off, they couldn't really switch off because they were always someone who needed something or a part of them or their time and stuff. So I, I really am a massive advocate for kids being able to take holidays with their parents to an extent, you know, I know it's kind of taking months off is slightly different, but... I quite you know, fancy doing that though. Oh point. God, I'd love to. I'd love to just take them away for the whole but summer finally, and go I'm traveling. I'm loads of people on Instagram that just seem to do that world schooling and just, you know, yeah. celebrating... I couldn't homeschool my kids. Oh my God, oh, no. God. That's it. And then the thing, when you go on holiday, I just spent um, a few weeks ago, I went away for half term to Spain. Yeah. And usually my parents are somewhere nearby, but they weren't this time. Yeah. Right? So we had like 10 days that were like, that were just really solid time with yeah. our kids, which is really lovely, but it's intense. You know, yeah. there's no break. And I think that's one of the, the, the positive things about being on holiday with kids is that sort of bonding experience. But the negative is, it's, oh God, it's bloody hard work. <laughs> yeah, it's exhausting. And it's kind of, but I also think it's really healthy because you both... You can both see and experience each other's strengths and weaknesses. And it's good for kids to, to, to kind of almost be forced to just do nothing as well. Because they don't really. We're actually we're going away this weekend. My husband's in a band and so we're going on the tour bus with him this weekend. We've done it a few times. So yeah, over the weekend. I was going to get around to the band and uh, he's in editors and a great band. Do you take them on the tour bus? Yeah. How, and what's we, that like? Well, we took Rudy quite a lot because, you know, he was first born and so we literally just kind of get on the bus with Tom. And then when Spike came along, Rudy was obviously all, already at school, so it does kind of restrict you slightly. But we spent Easter on the road with him, which was great. So we met him in Berlin, got on the bus, and we did Berlin, Leipzig, Warsaw, Krakow. So, and then this weekend we're doing somewhere in Germany, I don't know, and then just outside Amsterdam as well. I love that, and I bet they adore it. But does is it hard, sort of like juggling the band's hours? I remember reading this thing with um, with Zoe Ball when she was talking about like being backstage in the camping in the the back of the dance tent in Glastonbury, which I've camped different. in by the way, and it's, yeah. it was be, it was it's quite shocking. And she was heavily pregnant, and she suddenly turned around, and she's like what am I doing here? And she said that's when she started to sort of change. You know? Yeah, I mean, I think slightly different kind of being on tour because, you know, we wake up in the morning in a different place, we get off the bus, we go and get breakfast, we go and explore. Then we get back for Tom's sound check, he does sound check, then we have dinner. And then dependent on the time, you know, it was great in Europe because they were an hour in front. So it meant that the boys stayed up and watched most of the show. Then I took them on the bus. We did stories and they were in bed sort of thing. And then... Then we did the same thing the next day with a different place and going exploring. It was great and sounds brilliant. Yeah, it was it was amazing and, and Warsaw was fantastic actually because they had, they had this new science center that they'd built down on the waterfront and we went down there and spent the day down there and you know it's fantastic experience and places I've never been as well. It's so. like the sort of camping holidays that I used to have as a kid in the camper van going down to France and all over the, the Mediterranean, but 
with the added benefit of like your dad being a rock star and being on a really cool <laughs> tour bus. That sounds amazing. He's just dad to them. Yeah, yeah. sure. Uh, so uh, actually, talking of music, it's a, a good place to be. Um, I'm sure you've gone, I know you've gone to a lot of festivals. Mm. And I read this great story about one of the first festivals that you reported on. Was it for 4th FM? 4th FM, yeah, in Scotland. Yeah, Where you were custard in a nice way, I'm sure. Kylie Minogue outside the loose. Yeah, 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 what yeah. happened there? So I, I was doing, I was about to start my degree. And so, you know, when I was a teenager, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. I got accepted to P College uh, and the acceptance letter kind of made me realise I didn't want to do that. And then by that point, I was too late to apply for the stuff that I really wanted to do. So I went, ended up going to my local, I guess, kind of sixth form college to do like diplomas and stuff. I did them in communication studies for two years and then I got into the second year of the degree in Edinburgh. So just before I started my degree, I got in touch with my local radio station and asked them if I could get work experience. Got the work experience, worked my arse off for the week, and then they said, look, do you want to come back and, you know, whilst you're at uni, work weekends and any, you know, spare hours you can? And I was like, yes, please. And so during the summer, uh, it was one of the first Tea in the Parks, which at that time was at a place called Strathclyde Park, just outside Glasgow. And we got there and we, we arrived there. They had this great black double-decker bus that was the studios and the kind of tech kind of where everything was stored and we parked up and they were like okay here's an audio recording device this is how it works go and see what you can get and so I was kind of wandering about and I spotted Kylie going into the ladies toilets and I was like should I I was like, I'm not gonna go in so I just hovered outside and kind of you know politely asked if I could I told her you know that I was what I was doing and you know I was just starting it out and she very kindly said yeah and so that was my first ever interview. Did she say anything very interesting? I can't remember what she said. She did Doesn't say. Doesn't really matter actually you got hold Actually she did say so she was the person on the bill and she did say that she was going to she had a special guest coming on and everybody assumed that it was going to be Jason Donovan but I guessed that it was going to be Nick Cave. I was going to say. Because they just released Where the Wild Roses so that's one of the things I do remember her talking about. Oh, that'd be, that's incredible. That was the thing that sort of lifted her, you know, sort of to a slightly cooler place. That than, and also that record she did that the Manic Street Preachers produced oh, yes. as well, which yeah. I thought was amazing. Yeah. Some kind of bliss and all that kind of oh, stuff was yes. on it. It's a great record. So where are we? So, okay, let's go back to London. So you've moved to London, you've got yeah. a job on MTV. Yeah. How has your life changed in terms of what, what's London like at the time? And also, where are you going for travel? London's terrifying in that I, when I first came down I lived out in Chiswick when I actually when I first first came down I lived with family friends down in Kingswood outside just in Surrey near Sutton and then I got a flat in Chiswick and it just kind of felt like so far away from everything felt kind of really kind of a bit 2.4 children didn't really feel me and I didn't really spend much time there to be honest but I did quite a lot of traveling with MTV so we did things like the MTV Europe Music Awards we went to Rotterdam we did, there was ones that happened in Dublin, Milan was another one as well. And then whilst I was at MTV, I got approached by the BBC to audition for Rough Guide and had to Just go... Just to say, it's a Rough Guide, this, we've got a yeah. quite big international audience, so it's a, Rough Guide is the travel series that was a spin-off from the Rough Guide, Guide books, is that right? Yeah, I think, I don't know what started first actually, if it was the books or the series, because the series was, was on eight with Magenta Divine was the original host of it many years ago and she went through a couple of co-hosts and then it was off telly for a while and then they wanted to reboot it and I had to audition with about three or four different 
they'd said that I'd got the, the role, which was amazing, and then but then they had to find the kind of co-host. So I had to like audition all these potential kind of suitors, so to speak. Um, and got it and couldn't believe it. And then then I laid out in front of me was these kind of six trips. And it was a combination of city breaks and countries uh, and spent the next year on and off kind of going to places like Bolivia, New Zealand, Japan, Barcelona, Stockholm. And yeah, it was incredible. This is a dream job. It You've got two just, dream jobs, the, the music, you know, interviewing. I know, it was crazy. Favourite bands is a massive And I was, I was contracted at MTV at the time and they were brilliant actually. And they said, look, why don't you go freelance? And then once, you know, then you can come and go. So you can go off and do that and then come back and do, you know, whatever we need you to do. And it also meant, I think, that they then gave me more opportunities at MTV in terms of me just doing Daily Edition, which is what I was doing up to that point. Because I was also getting more experience, obviously, because with Rough Guide, there was no script. It was a case of Dimitri and I, who's my co-host, of us kind of sitting and chatting and going through books and researching and speaking to the, the director and, and getting a sense from him as to, you know, a starting point and an end point. And then it was left up to us to to kind of fill all that in and it wasn't about you know it wasn't about here's the best hotel to stay at or here's the cheapest hotel to stay at it was it was about the experience and what was the experience like did you have any uh, on the road yeah and it was there was some kind of I mean mesmerizing experiences uh, the first one the first trip we did was Bolivia and I'd never been anywhere like that before we had we all suffered from altitude sickness because La Paz one of the capitals, Bolivia's got two capitals, was just, um, yeah, it was, we were all kind of like disorientated and didn't quite know what we were doing. And then we nearly got, st we nearly got stranded in the middle of nowhere. When we went out to these salt flats, on the way back we hit this kind of freak snowstorm after we just passed a herd of llamas. It was just, it was crazy. It was like something out of a storybook. And the salt flats were, felt like I was, I was kind of in a scene from some kind of sci-fi film. It's beautiful, it's beautiful. And I can still kind of taste that sort of hot, salty air kind of thing. I know you've spent a lot of time on the Californian coast as well. Mm. It's somewhere I absolutely love. But yeah. I had this this lovely image of uh, a story I read about you driving on your own through the Mojave Desert. Yeah, it's my cousin's wedding. So my cousin Ian lives in a place called Mammoth, which is about six hours drives outside LA, up in the Sierra Nevada range. And so, when he was younger, he'd go out there for, he, he set his ski instructor exam. And so he had this great life for a couple of years where he'd go out to Mammoth and be an instructor and then come back to Scotland and be a golf pro. And then whilst he was out in Mammoth, he met this brilliant girl called Lindsay. They ended up getting married and they live out there and they've got a brilliant kid called Julian now. So they got married, it's gotta be 11 years ago now, I think they just celebrated their 11th wedding anniversary in May. And so there was a whole kind of people en masse going out there. So I, I went out early and spent some time in LA with some friends and then hired this soft top car and drove myself up to, to Mammoth and just had the most brilliant time. And I think that's what doing the travel shows really encouraged in me as well was about it's really healthy to go traveling on your own and it's really liberating and you really learn a lot, not just about yourself, the world, but everything, I think. And then, yeah, and then I met the kind of clan and the gang all up there and the wedding was amazing. It was at the top of the mountain and we were snowboarding. It was crazy, but it was such a great time. Are you a fan of LA? Yeah, I, I like LA the more I go. Um, it was kind of, the first time I ever went was for work when I was at MTV actually, to cover a video shoot 
on Malibu Beach and we were there for like two days. So I didn't really get to see anything. And then kind of as I got older, more friends kind of started to move out there. And so I'd go out and visit and then I ended up doing some work out there for BBC America for a bit. Um, and then weirdly, we've taken quite a couple of holidays out there because of seeing the family, you know, of, of killing two birds with one stone. We've done a, quite a few road trips on that West Coast. We nearly got stranded in, in uh, Yosemite because we, we went out to see Ian and Lindsay and it was Easter again. And normally there's a great pass that you can drive. It's 25 kilometers from Mammoth into Yosemite. But if they have a late snowfall, the pass gets closed and it's a nine hour trip down and back up. And we were like, we've got to do it because we want to see Yosemite. So we did this trip, got in, had a quick look around and we were like, I mean, it takes your breath away. It's phenomenal. And then the next morning woke up and everybody was kind of like, okay, if you don't have anywhere to go, then great because we're going to get snowed in. Otherwise, if you've got things to do, places to go, you want to leave now. So we had to leave because we had to fly in like two or three days time to get back. But I'm desperate to go back there in kind of summer months and go hiking and camp there and stuff because it looks like another world. Yeah, I, you're a big fan of New York as well, I think. Love New York. Haven't been in ages. In fact, we're hoping that we are going to do it before Christmas this year. We're big fans of Home Alone. So, <laughs> <laughs> so they should they, have a theme oh park, shouldn't they, where they recreate it, where you all stay oh in a big house my and God. Yeah, get stuff kids, thrown at you. The kids are desperate to go to New York, so we really want to try and do like just a four or five day trip there. We've got friends out there as well, so that's the plan, kind of almost pre-Christmas, Christmas present for us all. Whereas, I'm guessing you must have had some crazy nights out amongst your travels when you're hanging out with, uh, especially in the MTV days and hanging out with loads of musicians. Can you think of any crazy late nights or festivals um, that you've uh, had? I remember one in particular, one MTV awards. I can't remember which one it was, but um, it was one that you two were at and you two were, they must have been playing as well as kind of receiving something anyway. They're the nicest bunch of people in the world and they, at the time they had this security guard called Jerry looking after them, who I still see quite a lot actually at various things, he's a sweetheart. And they took us, they took Kat and I to this after show and then we just, you know, all chatting and stuff and then they just, and then they, they took us and dropped us back at our hotel and kind of, it's like having your kind of, kind of crazy rock star uncles looking after you overnight, that was great fun. Were they quite wild partiers, or I can imagine sort no, of like Bono just, being quite. They were just sedate. really interested in you, and they were just they were really just really easy to talk to, and just really lovely, and and interested to hear what you had to say. I remember one hilarious story that Larry was telling us about how he'd had to get the FBI involved for this guy in the states who was basically pretending to be Larry Mullen from U2. And he'd got like a couple of women pregnant. It obviously kind of got back to the real Larry Mullen and he's like, this this isn't me. You know, I was here, you know, so they had to, he had to get like the, the feds involved to kind of find this guy. And I think he's inside now for, you know, pretending to be Larry Mullen from oh God, U2. So these, these women that actually have had babies thinking they're having yeah, a baby with, with a, Larry Mullen from U2 <laughs> and it's not really him. So <laughs> that was one of the crazy them. stories I remember from that night. And festivals abroad, have you been to many festivals abroad? I've been to a few that I've not been to. I haven't done that many festivals abroad for work. I've done them with Tom, uh, being on the road. We did some in Australia and New Zealand, actually, in Tasmania. Uh, the Rhythm and Vine one uh, just north of Auckland is, is set in a, 
a vineyard and it's, it's beautiful, absolutely amazing. So that was pretty special. And then we brought in the new year at this one on Tasmania, I can't remember what it was called, but they had this crazy electrical storm and they didn't know whether their festival was going to be able to restart because they'd stopped it whilst the electrical storm was going on. Then it stopped and I remember the yeah, yeah, yeah is going back on stage and bringing in the new year and it being a great, yeah. We only had, Rudy was only like a year old at the time and we'd taken a friend with us to kind of help look after him so that we could have a nice time and kind of, you know, party a bit. And you're a, a big fan of Glastonbury and I know we've, we've had, we've, you know, we've got a lot of listeners from all over the world and Glastonbury I think is probably, I'd say the world's most famous festival. Wherever I travel, people, you yeah, know, everyone music knows fans, about Glastonbury, so yeah. Uh, what's so special about Glastonbury for you? Glastonbury is more than a music festival, really. It's special for me because I've got so many great memories there. Tom and I, when we first got together, like the, a month later, we had our first Glastonbury, and it was their first Glastonbury as a band playing. So that was really special. I've taken, I don't think Spike's been at Glastonbury, but Rudy's been like three or four times. He was there when he was two weeks old actually because I kind of crazily agreed to still do the coverage two weeks after having a c-section oh my god how was that what were you staying in were you, you weren't I was, camping no I wasn't camping me. we were staying in street at the bear and my mum came and so I would kind of be there and then leave as you know as late as I needed to get on site and do the coverage and then kind of express whilst we were in long sections of sets from people and then go did back. Did you leave him all day or did someone bring him along? Because I've was i done Well, I wasn't like away that. all day. I was kind of away from like three in the afternoon. Then I'd be back kind of midnight. And then I'd feed him as soon as I got back. And, and I love that though. It's not like, you know, you're you're doing something. It's not like you're off to work in a factory for 12 hours. You're going to Glastonbury, having a great time. Your baby's there. Yeah. And, you know, I didn't have much time to do anything apart from work, really. So it was quite full on. But then the next year, mum came again I think I don't know if Tom was playing I think he was but I think he was also then going off to another festival and I remember like in the days we just put Rudy and the weather was amazing we had one of those kind of backpacks that you put the kids in and we just circumnavigate the site and just go everywhere in the healing fields and the kids fields and yeah we walked for miles and I just remember kind of going into work and mum being sat there with him just in a nappy and him being kind of filthy and dusty and thinking brilliant this is brilliant hopefully you'll remember something from this it's the other otherworldliness of Glastonbury which I really love you know compared to other festivals which are all about the music and they've got great music as well yeah. but it's the fact that you've got all these well other you could you could yeah you travel. could you could go to Glastonbury and not see a band absolutely yeah because quite happily there is so much other stuff going on it's almost like to me when I'm there much as I'm a massive music fan the music is kind of incidental you know I've walked past some of my favorite bands and thought oh they're on you know and yeah, kind of yeah, carried yeah. on going to wherever I was going yeah I've not had that much uh, because I'm normally working so I have kind of limited time to be able to to kind of go and explore and it normally happens kind of after I've finished work you know if I've not got the kids sort of thing but Tom and I went a couple of years ago actually when they were playing and then we stayed on site and we went, I remember we kind of just completely ignored the headliners on the main stages and we went up to, I think it was the Glade because John Hopkins was headlining up there and we watched that and it was absolutely amazing. A friend of mine, Sophia Ollins, has uh, got a film out at the moment and directed a really 
beautiful, beautiful film about Glastonbury, about lost vagueness. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The area that was yeah. there and then they fell out and it sort yeah. of separated off. It's called Lost in Vagueness and I think it's in the cinemas in the UK now as we speak. But it just, I went along to one of the opening nights and they had all the circus performers there. Yeah. And just, it was just a really fabulous slice of popular culture. Yeah. And actually that sort of lost vagueness side, that, that's gone, but I think that they've, they've replaced it with oh, something yeah, else. Oh there's, yeah, there's more of that and, and kind of the same of that and more really. I remember Lost Vagueness, one experience of kind of finishing work. Actually, I think it was my, one of my first years and I wasn't working and going and putting on a ball gown and roller boots and yeah. in a roller disco sort of thing. and. Yeah, it's great. All and that's that a stuff. brilliant thing. There's there's roller discos, there's boxing rings, there's people getting married, there's cinemas, yeah, there's all that. circus tents and performers. I mean, I think when Glastonbury's on, it's something like it's not the sixth largest city in the UK or something. Yes, for those, yeah. For that kind of five days a week. Yeah, I haven't it's been crazy. for years. I, I used to be on the press pass list, and uh, but I've felt fallen off it. <laughs> oh, you need to get yourself back. I on don't you. know how to buy the bloody tickets. I know this sounds ridiculous. Is I don't. I've tried and it just seems so complicated. I, I can't get on that list. That. You've yes. got to get, you've got to register. That's yeah. it. Yeah. And you've got to put photos up and things. Photo you? ID, all that kind of stuff, which is happening more and more at gigs now. Actually, I was at Tom York the other night at the Roundhouse and with each ticket, the original person who bought it had to show ID or you wouldn't get in. It's probably so a, a good idea for, yeah, for touts and security mm. and everything in a way, yeah. but it's a bit annoying and you know, if you want to give yourself your ticket Yeah, to if you can't go for some reason, Like yeah. if someone else has paid your airport, your flight, if you've ever been to the airport where someone's bought the flight Oh, for I have you that all the time with work because, yeah. because obviously I'm Edith Bowman, but you know, I'm actually Edith Bowman Smith. My married name's Smith. I, I've Bowman is my middle name, it's not double-barreled. So sometimes if I'm, if someone books me travel for work, they book it double-barreled, which causes all sorts of problems when you kind of get to the airport. So I have to, we have to do this kind of almost like check every time now when I kind of book travel or someone else books me travel going the surname's Smith it's not Bowman Smith otherwise it's like oh 45 minutes at that kind of desk I've had it with the desk. kids because I haven't changed my name um, even though I'm married and my kids have different, oh, different yeah. surname to me so I've actually been stopped by security See? and sort of taken aside and I'm like well who are these it's like my kids especially because they're very blonde and they, they, they do look like me but they, yeah. know, they are suspiciously blonde I got well. told so I had that with Eurostar in particular before we got married and the kids, the, the guy said, look, I'll let you through this time, but you need to have their, their birth certificates or a copy of their birth certificates yeah. next time. Yeah, I travel with those. Um, where is the most, uh, where have you felt most out of your comfort zone, do you think, when you've been traveling? Oh, wow. God, that's a really hard question. Do you know what I think? I think I kind of can find, I can find a place wherever I've been, I think. There's nowhere that there's no place that I've gone and come back and gone, well that was crap or I'm never going back there again actually. I don't know whether I'm just you know, you can see the finding the positive and everything and the fact that you're away somewhere so you will kind of find a I have to say, I'm not a brilliant kind of and I've I've not done many of them, I've only done one of those kind of exotic, you know, islandy type things. Mauritius. A bit bored if I'm being honest I'm not good at sitting still and I think a lot of that's got to do with those doing rough guide and then Kat and I also did this travel series called road tripping 
which was basically an idea we came up with from watching Thelma and Louise round hers one night with a bottle of wine and going, wouldn't it be great to do a travel show like that? And then we went to I somewhere. just love the fact that you can then pitch that to someone and, then and, someone, and That's a great it, idea. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, we went to, we did Mexico, we did Italy, France, Morocco, Texas. And, you know, even in some of those places, like we went, like Texas was mental. We tried to address kind of full on all those preconceptions you have of things about Texas. So the rednecks, the conspiracy theories at Dealey Plaza on JFK's assassination, Waco, all, and we did all that. We went to Waco and we went to the, find all these crazy people in Texas who have museums in their garages of toilet seats that they've made into all these crazy things. Did they or, have a velvet one there? They didn't, but they ah. had one made out of money, which was really interesting. And then this guy who had this installation in his back garden, which was basically headless dolls and CDs, and it was kind of like, get this guy out of here. But even all that was just like, it was a great experience, you know, and we nearly got arrested in Morocco because Kat overtook on a road that she shouldn't have. And it was all these kind of crazy, brilliant experiences. And that was a great thing about that show in particular is that we never really knew what we were doing. It was kind of like, okay, we're here. You've got to get to there, go. So they had, and things like in, in Texas again, we were driving down the freeway and we had the cameras rolling in the car and stuff. And we saw a, a gun supermarket and we were like, should we go in? And we're like, yeah, let's go in. And we were intrigued, you know, and we kind of had that kind of dirty Harry kind of thing. Yeah, let's go and shoot a gun. I've never shot a gun before. And first thing we went through was like, it was, it was like a supermarket where you could go in and you could get your hands on pretty much anything. And so we then went to the counter and sort of explained to the guy what we were doing. He's like, oh, you want to shoot some guns? We've got a driving uh, firing range just around the corner. In the back, so we went through, you had like a three-minute safety talk. Put the goggles on and the earmuffs. He gave us two guns. One was a pistol and then another was a revolver. And we were both really shaken after it. And from what you can see on the film, they were just, they filmed us naturally. And we couldn't get out there quick enough. We were kind of in tears about it and just thought it was it was horrible. Just didn't like it at all. And it was quite funny in terms of we went out to the car and they were just following us and filming us and we were just saying, that's not what I expected to feel. I never kind of want to hold anything like that again. It was horrendous. That's and not then, what I was expecting. I thought you were going to say that it was a bit of fun, but it's, it must be it interesting. Horrendous. I've never held a gun. I've yes. been offered in, in Cambodia. Just leaving the killing fields, they offer you to shoot a gun. I was like, no, I really don't want to. Yeah. But... In that situation, you know, a couple of girls and traveling, it would have, I yeah. can see how you would have, you could have Like swung Charlie to Big the Bananas fun. kind of yeah, going, yeah, exactly, you know, yeah. give me something bigger. And it was like that, mm. no, get me out of here. And then it was really funny because that, that was what was nice about it was that they filmed us in situ and it wasn't about setups and things. And so we'd left the car keys in the car. And so we were both kind of go, we, let's get on the road sort of thing. And then it was like, left the car keys inside and we just burst out laughing. And so it was just a nice kind of icebreaker to oh, yeah. such a, horrendous experience that we were surprised by how we'd reacted to it but I loved doing that show it was great fun it sounds again it's you've had so many very ideal lucky jobs. um so what you're doing now is your ideal job you've got soundtracking which is your yeah podcast, my podcast yeah which... and that's going very well by the sounds of it you've interviewed some very well-known people bef uh, in front and behind the camera yeah Duncan Jones I was listening to oh, you I love Duncan and, and Clint which was amazing because that kind of came about through someone on social media being really kind about our podcast so it's called soundtracking and I set it up purely because I love film and I love music and I felt that no one was really enthusing about that and talking about it. 
And so Duncan had, was about to release Mute uh, on Netflix and he'd gone on social media and said, oh, is anybody, I want to do some interesting stuff talking about the show. Has anybody got any suggestions about who or what I should talk to? And someone said, oh, you should speak to Edith at Soundtracking. And he was aware of me and we've got a couple of mutual friends actually. And Clint, I know really well and is a sweetheart and has been on the show. I think he must have contacted Clint and Clint was like, Ed's great, you should do it, which is very sweet. So then we did it down the line. So they were in LA and uh, I was in London. Yeah, that's a shame, isn't and, it? You could have flown over. For and them. I was really worried about it because it's the only one we've ever done like that. Actually, it's a lie. We did one then after that with Tessa Thompson and Timothy Chalamet. But um, I was really apprehensive because I really, I was such a big fan and I just wanted it to be great, a great experience for him. But it was for all of us. So we're planning to revisit that in person next year at something that's happening so yeah he's actually one of my favorite people on twitter i, I just he's love great, his he? ethos and you know seems to have taken what his dad david bowie has uh, you know sort of embodied for a while and then sort of run with that in a very different in his own and a way. More, more modern yeah, way yeah. in his own way and he's taking you know it's not just his dad it's kind of it's he was brought up pretty much by his scottish nanny and he's got a lot of that in him as well in terms of that's kind of one of our mutual friends, that's how they met. I'm about, about to interview a guy called Carmine Rojas, who was a bass player for many years with David Bowie, and he plays with my brother, who plays with oh, Rod wow. Stewart, by the way. Oh, I mean, amazing. Stewart, oh, my God, yeah. Rod Stewart, first gig I ever went to. Uh, yeah, seven. so I read about that, and I went when I was about 15 or something. I'm a massive Rod fan, and my mm. brother played on his, his recent wow. album. He lives in LA, he's a guitarist. But he also plays in a band with Carmine Rojas, who played for many years with David Bowie, and toured with him, and amazing. played on the Let's Dance album. Uh, as a bassist and so I'm going to interview him oh, soon great. but he's got great travel stories yeah, apparently yeah, 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 yeah. particularly being um, on tour the, yeah. the, the serious nosebleed tour they called it <laughs> you know when it was all pretty yeah, fun yeah, yeah. escaping out of and, yeah. uh, hotel rooms yeah. you know escaping from their own security guards yeah, that were there yeah, to yeah, sort of yeah, guard yeah. David from going out and yeah. some incredible stories so I'm really looking forward to that um, that'd be great yeah so uh, what have I not asked you what have you not asked me? Oh, hang on. I know what I want to ask you yeah. very quickly. Um, your parents have timeshare. Do they still have timeshare? I so, love that. Yeah, well, no, they used, so they used to have a timeshare. So when we went to Portugal, every year you'd get off the plane and there'd be like 50, 60 people trying to kind of get you to buy a timeshare. Mum and Dad were kind of quite savvy with it. And what they would do is that they would they would go for the days out. And so we'd have lovely days out with this really these really kind of posh timeshare places and then they would never buy. And then my nan, my granddad died, and so we started taking my nana on holiday with us. Nana kind of really liked Portugal, as did we. We loved it. We'd go every summer. That was kind of like, by the time I was about 10, that was where we'd go on summer holiday every year. And so they went to see this one place, and it was really untimeshare if that makes sense. And it, I'm it a didn't, massive fan of timeshare. It didn't have, like, loads of facilities. It just had these lovely little terraced villas that were just really nicely done out. They weren't plush, but they were just really nice. And it was really good positioning. It was really near Villa Moura, the marina, and about five minutes to the beach. So they, they took one out. And then a number of years later, they got the chance to buy it outright for kind of really cheap. So they did. So now we have this little kind of terraced villa that we were just at two weeks ago with the kids. And we go out, I take the kids every year, whether it be for five days or a week or whatever. Um, and they know it and they love it and they love going to the water parks, they love going down to the beach, they love going to the, the sports shop and getting their Portugal top with their name on the back. And, and I just really like that familiarity for them. And so 
I really hope to still be able to take them, you know, until they want to keep going with me on holiday. And it's really easy, like they've got, we've got bikes there so we can bike everywhere and they've got really good tennis clubs and things like that. And my mum and dad know people there now. It's really nice having this little kind of community out It's a second home really. Yeah. I have that in Spain. I grew up on the Costa del Sol and my mum and dad worked in Time Chef yeah. many years. So I know the good and the bad parts yeah. of it. But it, it, it's really weird. Yeah, it's fabulous. really kind of sort of, well, not always, but people kind of turn their noses up a bit at it. I think but bad I think sales, dodgy salespeople have given it a bad name. But if you if you take them away, Timeshare is a great concept. Yeah. You can for a bargain, you can go to any place in the world if they're a member of RCI. Swapping, you can yeah. you can swap it, and the resorts are beautiful. I've stayed in in lots of um, yeah. Timeshare resorts. Well, I had quite a lot of friends who so near us in Scotland, um, in this place called Kanaka Castle. Kilconka Castle, it's, it's spelled, or as people who can't say it, call it Kilkinchukka. It, you, I don't know if it still is, but it used to be a timeshare place. So they had like kind of cabins. So you'd, my, a lot of, quite a few families in our area would buy a timeshare there and they could use the facilities there, but then they would swap their weeks for other parts of the world. No, it's a, it's a good idea. Yeah. It's, it's been abused by some people, but it's definitely a good idea. Yeah, and I'm, totally. I'm still a big supporter of it. Um, anything I've missed before I ask you my last question? Places I want to go. Yes. So where would you like to go in the future? Where, Cuba, where haven't you been? I'd love to go to Cuba. I've never been there. I've had, I know a lot of people who've who've been there. Um, we I've done Mexico. Kat and I did Mexico, but it was so fleeting, and we only got a real kind of quick glimpse of it. My husband was there recently um, doing band stuff that I'd, I'd really like to kind of do a bit of kind of touring around Mexico. Um, the kids are desperate, Rudy in particular, he's really into nature and animals. He is desperate to go to the Galapagos Islands. Oh yeah, that's on my list as well. I, I've spent time oh. in Cuba and I love Cuba, but um, the Galapagos. I, now with the kids I want to do experiences like that. I yeah. want to do the Galapagos and I haven't I seen the China. Northern Lights. I want to do that. Northern Lights, Iceland. We were, Tom and I were booked to go to Iceland and then his mum was poorly. She's fine now um, and so we cancelled it. So I really want to do that and China. So many great places to explore mm. and I love and the fact that you're continuing to do them with the kids. And I think that's right and it's like that's kind of why we're, I'm totally taking advantage of, of the fact that, you know, I'm lucky to have a husband who travels a lot with work and take advantage of that and take the kids as many places as we can. You know, he's off to Russia. I'm not sure I want to take the kids to Russia. But Brazil, he's off to, so we're trying to work out whether it would work with the kids with holidays and stuff. And why not? You know, it's make it's, it work. Yeah, totally. But I'm all for those holidays. That even if it's you know days like we like with the tour bus and stuff, we wake up in a different place every day. We feel really privileged to be able to do that. And I think it's just giving the kids life experiences through travel is a great opportunity. Great. My last question is about music, and mm -hmm. I don't know if this is going to totally stump you because yeah. obviously you have so much music in your life. Mm -hmm. But I always think that music and travel go mm. hand in hand, and yeah. because you've got more time, and because it evokes beautiful memories, yeah. and you know, really helps cement travel memories when you're listening to a particular song. So if you had to choose one song that reminded you of a particular moment, a special time relating to travel, what would that be? Um, I think it would probably be, it would probably, if I could pick an album instead of one song, it would probably be um, Midlake um, and their album which is called The Trials of Van Occupantha. And it's a record that Tom and I listened to a lot when we first got together, but it's also a record that I remember having on when I was driving up to Mammoth that time on my own for my cousin's wedding. It's an album that I used to listen to with the kids when Rudy was first born. So it's an album that cements a lot of really important times in my life. And uh, it's one that I 
constantly go back to and listen to. So The Trials of an Occupanther by Medlake would be my travel album of choice. Lovely. Thank you so Thank much. You. That was so much fun. <laughs> Edith, thank you so much for coming on the Big Travel Podcast. Thanks to AKA Global, the world's best entertainment marketing company, for letting us use their offices in Covent Garden for this recording. Next week, we have travel maestro Simon Calder. So don't miss it. See you then. <laughs>